Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Kate. Good morning, Red Hills. Uh, happy Sunday to you all. I'm so glad that I get to be with you. Uh, you are in a series called Rejoice, in which you are talking at length about joy, which is very fitting for after Resurrection Sunday. It's part of church tradition that the time between Resurrection Sunday and Pentecost is a time of feasting, of celebration, because Jesus has been raised from the dead. Yay! Right? Awesome! Does this mean that everything is all good for, uh, all, for us all from here on out? No. Oh, friends, how I wish it were so. But the reality is, is that, yes, Jesus has been raised from the dead, but we still live with the reality of sin and evil and suffering in our lives. Now, it is easy to experience joy when things are going well, right? When you're on vacation, when there's money in the bank account, when it is a 70-degree day outside, oh, Lord, may it be so soon. <laughs> it's also easy to experience joy when things go from, from bad to good, or even when things go from bad to not as bad. For example, uh, like Pastor Kate said, my, uh, my, my friendship with Lane goes back a long time. He and I, we went to college together. We then lived together in a two-bedroom apartment with four, four other dudes, so there were six of us total. In fact, uh, Lane's not here to defend himself, so I, I'm just going to tell you all right now. Before we moved into that apartment, Lane came up to me with the brilliant idea of us all staying in one room and the other room being an office. So ladies and gentlemen, your pastor, it was his idea, we all slept in the same room, all six of us. It was weird. <laughs> and Lane actually shared a story on Easter Sunday. If you remember, uh, if, you, if you don't, uh, let me catch you up. The, this story involved the, the roommates, not me, I didn't have any part in this, the roommates decided to take a, a moon gate from this church that we served at as you know, Easter decoration. We took it into uh, the apartment and used it as target, target practice for blow darts, as you do. Now, there was one roommate who will remain nameless, Lane didn't tell you the rest of the story conveniently, so I'm going to share with you, Red Hills, the rest of the story, all right? There was one roommate who will remain nameless for the sake of his pride and identity, who, instead of a blow dart, one day decided to use a Batman throwing star. We apparently had one of those. And he, he missed the target of the moon gate and broke the window. Now, we got a fine, the window re was replaced, and the bill came in the mail, and this roommate, who was not home at the time, who will remain nameless, who was responsible for breaking the window, we all agreed he was going to pay for the window, all right? There was a, another roommate who was a bit of a prankster, and he opened the bill, 
and saw that it was for $100. Now, for us, that was a lot of money. That was half of rent. And $100 is a lot of money, but not nearly as much as $700. So this roommate took a pen, made the one look like a seven. Roommates, number one, returned home, saw that the bill was on the kitchen table. He looked at the bill, and with a cry of lament, threw the bill, stormed out the apartment, and was going to go break some things. Now, roommate number two realized that his prank had gone too far, so he picked up that bill. He ran after roommate number one, who will remain nameless, and he yells out, wait, Lane! (laughs) It's not $700, it's $100. And Lane, in that moment, went from having a really, really bad day to not as bad of a day, and joy welled up inside of him. But what if the bill remained $700? Would it have been possible for Lane to experience joy in the midst of receiving a $700 bill? Is it possible to experience joy when we are experiencing great suffering in our lives, when things go from from good to bad and they stay that way? Is it possible to experience joy even when the circumstances around us are far less than ideal? Ultimately, we have a choice. Are we going to be the kind of people who have our source of joy be our external circumstances, or is the source of our joy going to be elsewhere in a more reliable source? The Messianic Jewish author Irene Lipson, she writes, the ideal is a joy based on inner security, not dependent on physical circumstances. This morning, we are going to talk about that, that inner security, that deeper source of joy that is available when life is good and when circumstances are far from ideal. Now, you may be saying, but David, you do not know what I'm going through. You do not know my suffering. You're right. I'm not saying that I am the, the pinnacle of human potential when it comes to experiencing joy in the midst of suffering. No, far from it. Friends, I am on the journey with you, but... We serve a rabbi, a teacher. We serve Jesus, who is the master of joy in the midst of less than ideal circumstances. And to Jesus, we look as the example. So let's go over to John chapter 17, starting in verse 13. We're going to look at a couple verses here, and then we're going to talk about Paul. John 17, verse 13. This is Jesus praying to God the Father. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they, talking about his disciples, they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus here, he mentions joy that he has, that he is passing along to his students, his disciples. But what is Jesus facing? 
This is a prayer to God the Father, but this is the night that he is about to be betrayed and the following day die a gruesome death on the cross for the sins of humanity. And he's talking about joy, a joy that, that he possesses. He says, my joy, it's a joy that he has. And, and he's giving this joy to his disciples, but his disciples, their circumstances aren't that great either. It, he, he says, the world has hated them. And, and before this prayer to God the Father, Jesus has just had this upper room conversation with his disciples where he's basically telling them, hey, your lives are gonna really be kind of a bummer from here on out. Yes, your sorrow will turn to joy when you see me at my resurrection, which they completely missed that. But Jesus is basically saying, hey, in this world, you will have trouble. Friends, this is not a joy based on idyllic circumstances. And if I'm being completely honest with you, I do not want that joy. His disciples are hated. They are going to suffer for the gospel. Jesus is facing the cross. Friends, all I want for joy is the, the joy of a beautiful beach, a delicious burrito, and no one bothering me. That is all I am asking for. Unlike Jesus, who is deeply troubled, experiencing deep sorrow, and yet there is a deeper joy. What could the source of that deeper joy be? Before we get to that source of deeper joy, let's talk about Paul and his letter to the Philippian Jesus followers. I know you all had a a teaching series on the book of Philippians recently, but, but Pastor Lane, myself, and our other best friend, we are memorizing the book of Philippians together. So it's very much fresh in my mind. And what's interesting is that this, this letter written by Paul is written in less than ideal circumstances, for he is imprisoned. And what's fascinating is that despite these less than ideal circumstances, the theme of rejoicing and joy saturate this letter. The noun joy and the verb rejoice are used 16 times in the book of Philippians. For example, Paul, when he's talking about people who are preaching Christ for wrong motivations in order to afflict him while he's in prison, he's like, I don't care. As long as Christ is preached in that, I rejoice. Later on, he says to the Philippian Christians, he's like, hey, if my life is to be poured out as a sacrificial offering, great, I'm glad and I rejoice and I encourage you to be glad and rejoice with me. This letter from prison is saturated with a joy sourced in something far deeper and far more reliable than external circumstances. Check out Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. Paul says this, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord, that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry. Friends, if I'm being completely honest with you, when I have not eaten, I am not content. And that is why the spiritual discipline of fasting is so important for me. Because if I'm being completely honest, I find a lot of joy in burritos. And this spiritual 
discipline is training me to find my joy in the Lord and not in food. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul is basically saying that whatever comes his way, he can endure it because God gives him strength. Now, verse 13, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. We, we often take this out of context. We, we misquote it, and we apply it to our own goals, such as, you know, oh, I'm going to make this much money because you know, I can do all things through him who gives me strength, or I'm going to go to the gym and look like you know, Chris Hemsworth when I'm done because you know, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. But friends, that is not the point of this verse. Paul is not talking about us achieving our goals and Jesus helping us with that. Rather, he is saying that he can handle, he can endure the suffering that comes his way because of him who gives him strength. The, the word do in, in verse 13, I can do all this, it, it's actually not there in the original text. It, it's literally, uh, I can all things through him who gives me strength. So within this context, it makes more sense if this verse is saying, I can handle all things. I can take all that life throws at me, or I can endure all things through him who gives me strength. And Paul is not claiming that he has some sort of internal strength that he is drawing from. Rather, he is saying that it is God who strengthens him. God is the source of his strength to endure the hardship, and he is the source of joy in the midst of hardship. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 5 say, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So friends, what do we learn about the source of joy from Jesus and from Paul? I want to submit to you this. The true source of joy is the presence of God. Jesus, going back to John 17, verse 13, he says, I am coming to you now, talking to God the Father. Jesus knows that that he is going to be in the presence of God the Father again. And he is longing to be in the full presence of God the Father In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says of Jesus, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising his shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus was well aware of the suffering of the cross, but on the other side of suffering was joy. The joy in having carried out the mission God had set before him, and the joy of being in the presence of God, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And when it comes to Paul, for him, he says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23, he says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. There are two really good options. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Yet to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He is basically saying, hey, if I am to to remain in the flesh, that means I'm going to continue partnering with God in the mission. Just like Lane talked about last week, there's joy in the mission. However, his real desire, his, his bigger desire is to be in the presence of God, to depart and be with Christ. But this presence of God that brings joy, 
can be experienced right here, right now, not just after we die. The presence of God can be experienced now, and because of that, we can have deep and lasting joy. But the joy from God's felt presence now is merely a shadow of the joy to come when we are in the full presence of God without the hindrance of sin and evil and suffering. That is a joy, that is a, a joy inexpressible that we will get to experience one day, but we get to experience it in part right here, right now. So King David, he writes this in Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. I keep my eyes always on the Lord with him at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Whatever comes his way, he will not be shaken because the Lord is with him. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Who here feels like you just need your body to just rest secure? Yes, friends, our bodies can rest secure because of resurrection. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. Friends, there is resurrection hope that we have. How do we know this? Because God did not let his holy one, his son, remain in the grave and see decay. But he raised him up on the third day. You will not let your faithful one, your holy one, see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures, not temporary pleasures, not cheap pleasures, but eternal pleasures at your right hand. The 17th century French monk, Brother Lawrence, he is the author of the famous little book, The Practice of the Presence of God, found that in the menial tasks of the monastery's kitchen duties, there was an opportunity to be aware of the presence of God. What if, Red Hills, what if we were a people who, in, in the menial tasks, in the doing the dishes, the changing of the diaper, the, the taking out of the trash, the commuting to work, what if those were opportunities to be aware of the presence of God and experience the joy of the presence of God? Julian of Norwich says, joy is to behold God in everything. God's presence is all around us. Though we don't always feel his presence, let's be honest about that. St. John of the Cross talks about this as the dark night of the soul. Though we don't always feel God's presence, we know and we can trust that one day we will have full access to the presence of God without sin, without evil getting in the way. We will dwell with God again. So our invitation is this, to find our joy in the presence of God now, and if we feel like God is far off and we don't feel his presence, we can trust that one day we will be in the full presence of God without the reality of sin and evil getting in the way. I'm not saying let's be happy all the time, let's not you know, feel sad, let's not lament. No, that's, that's unhealthy and that's fake. No, that's not what we should be after. What I am saying is this, though. True and lasting joy is not contingent on ideal circumstances. For the source of our joy is the presence of God, experienced both now in part, but will one day be fully realized when heaven and earth are reunited and God comes and dwells with his people again. 
And I believe this is what the world needs right now. Followers of Jesus, full of joy, inviting people into the joy that is ours in Christ Jesus. The world doesn't need us to be gloomy and anxious about the state of the world. There's enough of that to go around. But there is something about people who have experienced suffering and sorrow in their lives and yet are full of joy. Recently, I was in South Africa for a, a school um, a learning experience. I'm a part of George Fox's uh, uh, doctoral programs that uh, goes to South Africa um, once every three years. And we, we were in Cape Town, and we were learning about Archbishop Desmond Tutu at the Desmond and Leah Tutu exhibit. And uh, Archbishop Tutu, he, he was known as someone who just exuded joy from the inside out. In fact, those who were close with him would say that he was playfully mischievous. He didn't take himself too seriously. But what's remarkable about this is that he experienced great suffering because of the, the oppressive apartheid regime. And not only that, he was assigned the task of listening to story after story of the black South Africans and the, the sufferings that they endured because of apartheid. He, if anyone, he had every right to be overly serious, gloomy, and depressed for the rest of his life. But he was a man who, despite the suffering he endured and the, and the suffering that he witnessed, he exuded joy from the inside out. We, my friends, can be like that. And I suspect that the world needs more followers of Jesus who, despite their suffering, are filled with a joy inexpressible, source in that which is immovable. And I want to be that kind of person. A, a year ago, my, my wife and I, we went through a, one of those out-of-left-field times of great distress and difficulty. Without going into too much detail, it involved a, a job loss. And after this happened, the next morning, I woke up at 4 a.m. and I just couldn't sleep. And so I, I got up out of bed and I opened my laptop and I looked at like, our, our budget and, and deleted that uh, significant <laughs> income. And it was bad. And I, and I was there and I was sitting there looking at the budget. And I was like, oh man, this, this is not looking good. But after that, I closed the laptop, grabbed my Bible and my journal, and I was like, Lord, I need your presence. I need you to carry us through this. And friends, let me tell you, though it, it has been a, a, a difficult season, God has, has been so faithful and so good. And without his presence, I don't know what, what could have gotten us through. Because his presence is the source of joy. So friends, let's be a people of joy in the midst of a world in search of joy, but often settling for cheap pleasures. In Romans 14, 17, it says, for the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Food and drink, they are good things, but they are not the source of joy. And I'm not saying don't enjoy good things. 
Take delight in the good and perfect gifts that God gives us. Take delight in, in the beautiful beaches, the delicious burritos, and times of laughing with friends. In fact, Red Hills, I encourage you, if you are feeling particularly sad today, go on YouTube, type in puppies playing with ice cubes, and joy will be yours. What I am encouraging us is this, not that we just ignore the delightful pleasures that God gives us, but rather we enjoy them. But when the good things in life are few and far between, may the source of our joy be the presence of God. For in God's presence, there is a far deeper source of joy. In the words of C.S. Lewis, joy is the serious business of heaven. So Red Hills, let's be about our Father's business and take seriously the invitation to live our lives with joy found in the presence of God right here, right now. Let us be a people who in the good days and in the bad days say with David, the writer of Psalm 16, I keep my eyes always on the Lord with him at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My tongue will rejoice. My body will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Jesus, you who are the one who sits at the right hand of the throne of God, you, you are our example of joy. You are our source of joy. Forgive us of the times we have tried to find joy in other things. May we find joy in you and you alone, for you made a way for us to be in the presence of God. Let's take our communion elements this morning. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take and eat. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me.